Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. Rhonda Collins and Andrea Leverett from Vocera, who offers a leading platform for communication and workflow optimization. Dr. Rhonda Collins is the Chief Nursing Officer with Vocera. Dr. Collins is responsible for working with nursing leadership groups globally to increase their understanding of Vocera's solutions, share clinical best practices, and to bring their specific requirements to Vocera's product and solutions teams. Andy Leverett is a registered nurse and a senior clinical executive for Vocera, working with clinical leaders in healthcare organizations across Australasia to conduct current communication workflow assessments and share communication best practices to improve care team collaboration and patient flow, care and safety. Rhonda and Andy, how are you? Great. How are you today? Super duper. Thank you. We're covering multiple time zones, which is even cooler. Um, (laughs) I might throw to you both to introduce, maybe tell us about where you are firstly, but also who you are and what you do. Rhonda, did you want to start things off? Sure. Happy to do that. Obviously, from this accent, I'm American and uh, I live in Texas, (laughs) which is a different accent as well. (laughs) And uh, I live just outside Austin, Texas, and I've been with Vocera since 2014. In the role of the chief nursing officer, my job is to really create the clinical uh, relevance around what we do with our customers around the world. Andy is a part of my team who really covers the Australia, New Zealand markets. And we really do work with physicians and consultants and and nurses and those who care for patients to streamline and make more effective their communication and operational goals. Sounds important. And Andy, did you want to tell us about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm the Senior Clinical Executive for, as Rhonda said, Australia and New Zealand. And I work with both Vocera staff and hospital staff or wherever we're going in to try and identify what the current communication issues may be and how that impacts the organisation and how Vocera can change the way they communicate. And often they realise that they don't have a problem because they're so used to communicating the way they do. But we show them how they do it now and how they can do it in the future and implement, hopefully, according to the way they want their communication collaboration to work. Hmm. Understand very important topics. And particularly today, we're covering a bit about cognitive overload specifically. Rhonda, do you want to tell us a bit more about that? What is cognitive overload? Yeah, there's really a very quick definition of it. When we talk about cognitive load, that's the total amount of mental activity that's imposed on your working memory in any one instant, and it only affects the short-term memory. So it can last usually 15 to 60 seconds and as short as eight seconds. It's that moment when perhaps... When we talk about cognitive load, it's everything that you're trying to hold in your memory. And then another data point or another piece of information comes in and you try to internalize that, but your memory can't hold it. And usually that is defined as overload. It's one of those things that we all deal with. And today, just me talking to you, Pete, all of us have a higher level of cognitive load because we're talking about topics that I may be comfortable with, but you are learning about. So you're having to listen more intensely and try to understand. And so that's exactly what we're talking about and how that affects the clinical experience when nurses and physicians are caring for patients and trying to integrate new information, new technologies at the bedside. 
It reminds me a little bit about the concepts around multitasking and the myth around multitasking because I can't even write a text message and walk at the same time. <laughs> yeah. I don't do anything else. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, That's exactly what it is. And, you know, we talk about all of us in, in this world have basically eight core cognitive capacities. And one of them is your ability to sustain attention. Another one is your response inhibition how quickly you can process information, your cognitive flexibility and control, and then multiple simultaneous attention, which is that multitasking. I mean, a lot of folks feel like they do it very well, when in reality, the people around them are not so enamored of that. <laughs> and uh, another part of it is your working memory, how you form categories of thought or thinking. All of us, when we get a new piece of information, our need is to categorize it so we can understand it, so we can relate it to other bits of information that we know. And pattern recognition. Pattern recognition is really interesting because it's that thing when you're watching a movie and you think, where have I seen that actor before? You know, you're trying to think and you're trying to put them into that other character or that other person. You recognize it, but you can't put it into the place that it belongs. Well, in the clinical world, that can frequently happen with odd or unusual diagnoses. You know, you have a symptom or um, the patient presents a certain way and you're trying to slot that in in your very mm -hmm. busy schedule into what you're seeing, into what you know. Those all work together. And some of us are very, very strong on some parts of our cognitive capacities and very weak in others. For me personally, my ability to sustain attention is challenged. I, I just, I'm easily distracted by things around me. We hear often, particularly this year, around the very real issue of burnout with nurses. Is that a similar thing or is that different? What I usually say is if you were at burnout, you've waited too long to deal with cognitive overload. Cognitive overload is actually one of the first things that will happen that can lead to burnout. It's those clinicians who come to work fatigued, they come to work distracted, or the workload starts changing. And, uh, you know, obviously with COVID, you're dealing with patients with symptoms you've never seen before, you don't understand, you're trying to figure out exactly how you care for the patient. And then just the patient load that has gone with it has really increased that. And so as that builds over time, it can lead to complete burnout and distraction, depression, total overload. And that's when we start losing clinicians to the discipline. They're just like, I just don't want to do this anymore. There's actually three different kinds of cognitive load. One is intrinsic, and that is really what you carry around with you personally. It's I call it the rucksack that you can't take off. You may have an aging parent or a child with special needs or financial difficulties. It's just one of those things that goes with you everywhere you go. And so you take that to work with you. And then there's extrinsic, which is how you respond to the environment that you're in. <laughs> and then there's germane, which is basically how what is delivered to you that you can't control. And frequently, you know, you look at clinicians, they can't control the kind of information that comes to them. They can't control when it comes to them or they can't control the method by which it comes to them. It just arrives and they have to be able to deal with it. So you can see when you're trying to work in all of these different capacities and information keeps coming, patients keep coming, there's a certain chaos in healthcare. It's an organized chaos. <laughs> But, and sometimes it's difficult to deal with, you can see how clinicians can easily become overloaded. And it's in that space of overload that mistakes are made and burnout occurs. 
Putting it in a practical sense, so looking at nurses that are, you know, working within a clinical setting, either globally or particularly in Australia, maybe we'll go to you, Rhonda, from a global perspective and then to Andy from a local side of things. What have you heard from frontline nurses that you guys interact with? What are their concerns? Yeah, obviously, I live in the US and we have just had such a time with COVID. And we're now in about our third round of uh, really maxing out our hospital beds, the capacity of our clinicians to care for them. And every day I talk to clinicians who say, I'm not sticking around for another go with this. I'm worn out. I'm terrified that I'm going to take it home to my family. I read statistics today that one in six positive COVID patients in the U.S. are healthcare workers. (laughs) So it's a very real concern that they're taking at home. And when I look at the rest of the world, it's the same issues of, do we have enough PPE and is it proper? And am I exposing my family and loved ones? And how long is this going to go on? Because I can't sustain this level of intensity for another year (laughs) or even longer. So it's really, interestingly, of course, countries all around the world have done better jobs of managing it than perhaps the U.S. has. But I would say that the concerns are very real. The virus is the same. And I think Andy has been really keyed in on what's happening in Australia. Yeah, so interesting, I mean, which I think is quite unique for Australia is our borders have closed. So therefore, it brings a whole lot of other problems like people that usually fly interstate to work can't do that unless they go into quarantine. If they go into quarantine, it's at their expense. They're then away from their families a lot longer and may not even see their families. So you've got this added burden of how do I get to work today? You know, even if you're on the Tweed, Coolangatta borderline or Aubrey, Wodonga, you know, how do I get through that border today? How long will it take me to get through that border. I mean, in Victoria, you know, they have to fill in the attestation app before they go to work every day. That adds an extra burden to them. Then they've got to get line up to try and get through if it's the Ring of Steel in Melbourne or all of these other border crossings. Then they've got to go through their screening stations at the hospital before they even start work. Normally, when we go to work, most workers have to drop their children off at childcare. So there's so many time constraints on the shift workers or on all the workers and then all of a sudden they've got these huge waiting queues that they've got to go through as well they're worried about trying to get to work who do they call if they can't get to work and some have actually sort of thought what's the point What's the point of going to work? So they stopped going to work. Some hospitals have had to say you only can work at one site. Normally they would work uh, across sites, like two or three sites, but they're locked down to one site. Therefore, they've decreased their work. Therefore, their pay decreases. So again, this adds more stress to the workers. And I was told just this week that the emotional tension in the hospitals is huge because people aren't dealing with the isolation that they're feeling, with the feeling that they cannot travel to see their loved ones. And when are they ever going to see them again? There's real stresses out there that, and the isolation stresses that we haven't even identified yet. I think we'll be adding, you know, huge pressure on the clinicians going to work, let alone getting to work and then having to work out what's the process today. Do I have to put on all my PPE today? Is it limited PPE that I need to use today? Is it only certain cases that I have to use my PPE? All of this changing environment and how does that get communicated to the clinicians that are on the front line doing it? 
There's so many things that are contributing to the stress and the overload that like are happening even before someone steps foot into a clinic to be able to do their role. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a a lot of resilience required from a clinician's point of view and from a nursing point of view, like how are clinicians dealing with the resilience? I think generally quite resilient individuals, anyone that works in a healthcare setting, the feedback, you guys get the feedback in real time from the ground. What's the feel locally with clinicians? Well, clinicians go into the work because they are a hardy breed and they do want to care for the patients and the families, but they're tired. They're worn out. And it doesn't take a scientist to figure out that when people are physically worn out, they're emotionally stressed, that their ability to cope with the tension and the changes and the operational difficulties at work is really decreased. And so I try to tell folks that when you see a clinician who maybe is acting out or difficult or, you know, not responding in the normal way, rather than just say, oh, we've got somebody who's being difficult, it's really important to understand what is the specific cognitive burden that they're carrying and how can we around them help to mitigate that? Because I think that that's one of our responsibilities as leaders in the healthcare space is to say, I recognize this in you. And uh, I want to give you some tools or I want to give you some respite or some relief from it. There's other things that I've seen all around the world. Obviously, the isolation has caused mental distress and emotional and mental concerns to really escalate. There's been an increase in violence against healthcare workers when you're separating people from their families for extended periods of time, addiction All of those things that come with the social isolation and then your loved one goes in the hospital and you're not allowed to see them. (laughs) it's, It's really just created a whole toxic mix of issues that just each one is then exacerbated on its own. Yeah, that, that's one element of this whole COVID thing that I find it, like you say, exacerbates things mm-hmm. dramatically is that the emotional support you normally receive, you know, when someone's going through a particular situation or is unwell, it takes away so much of that support, which is usually so helpful in the healing process. So yeah, that's a really tragic part of it. Absolutely. That is so true. Yeah. So now you're dealing with the cognitive load of, of worrying about a loved one and being separated And, you know, what we try to do is just look at how can we step in if you're looking at clinicians who are struggling with the environment. If you think about even in your own personal life, the big things you can usually handle, but it's the sort of the gnats around your ankle that just start to take you out. It's like, I just can't deal with this anymore. And one of those things is like the donning and doffing of PPE. Uh, you know, around 70% of all exposure and contamination comes at doffing when they're taking it off. And we're seeing some hospitals around the world who've created doffing teams where when a clinician comes out of a room where they've been caring for COVID patients all day long, they call the doffing team who come and help them remove their contaminated gear so they will lessen their exposure to it. That's why we have the hands-free wearables that can go under the PPE. Clinicians don't have to hold a phone to their face. They don't have to remember numbers. They don't have to remember names. Everything is voice activated. So they can just say, call the respiratory therapist on call and the software will know exactly who that is and can call. And so we really are committed to the fact communication is an essential part of healthcare, but even beyond that, it's an essential part of PPE because you want to protect your clinicians and allowing them to just 
stand and call <laughs> for any kind of help that they need. Or we actually have an intubated patient at a hospital in Utah who was a violinist and he wanted to play his violin to thank everyone for taking care of him, but he was still intubated. He sat up on the side of the bed and started playing his wife brought his violin into the hospital and they gave it to him. And they were able to use the Vocera wearable, the hands-free to just turn it on and allow all of the patients and the clinicians to hear him play. So yeah, it was very cool. It's an article that easily Googled. You can find it. It, it went pretty um, viral over here. I'll put the link in the show notes of this episode so people can click through and check that out. That's really cool. It sounds like then obviously communications technology is is a huge, really important part of reducing that cognitive overload and helping within a clinical perspective, particularly when it comes to helping patients and being able to help them through that healing process, but also from, you know, strengthening nurses' resiliency as well, it sounds like. Absolutely. And I know it's counterintuitive to say that technology can reduce cognitive load, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, you know, our goal is to reduce the wear and tear on clinicians. I mean, that's what you do. If you build the technology right, if you create the software and create the solution, you know, starting with the workflow of the clinicians and move back then to the technology, you will have the right solution. So there's a couple of things that we wanted to look at was let's reduce the wear and tear. Let's allow technology to carry the burden of memory. My best example of this is our iPhone. I may have a new doctor's appointment, but I don't know really where that physician is or where their office is, but it's in my phone in the day. I don't have to carry that in my memory. I don't have to do anything about it. It's just waiting on me. So I get in my car, I plug in my phone and I tap the address and it talks me there. I've wasted zero cognitive load on trying to figure out where I'm going. And that's what we try to do with our technology is take those same principles where I don't have to exercise any memory. I don't have to store anything in my memory. I can just allow the technology to store it and carry it. So when I, I say that it's counterintuitive, but yet think about the things that you do in your personal life that make your life so much easier. We try to translate that as much as we can to how it works in the healthcare environment. Part of that is delivering the right information at the right time. I think in this information heavy world that we live in, our tendency is to just because we can, we think we should. And in healthcare, it's more important than ever that you deliver the right information at the right time to the right individual and keep it contextual, keep it in the purpose of the patient and the action that you're taking. And so thinking we've got obviously a lot of healthcare leaders within Australia who check out the show or those that are connected and making decisions around resourcing or assisting healthcare workers on a day-to-day. -day. Either of you, what are some kind of things that they could be keeping in mind to help mitigate the burden that's placed on nurses and other healthcare workers in a clinical setting? I'll start and then I'll, I'll ask Andy to join in, but look at, at where you have disparate technologies. You know, for example, does this group of physicians carry pagers or bleeps or whatever terminology you use, or does this group carry, you know, unit specific phones, or does this group carry personal phones, or does this group, you know what I mean? It's like everybody's doing a different thing. Look at ways that you can consolidate technology, whether it's uh, communication technology or any other kind. Look at ways that you can increase the intelligence of the technology so it can carry the information that it needs to carry. Uh, one of the things that we have is that we allow clinicians to record a reminder just to themselves, you know, 
it's a sticky note, a technology sticky note to say, remember to take Mr. Jones's vital signs in 15 minutes. Well, in 15 minutes, the Vocera badge will remind them, take vital signs on Mr. Jones. So those are the things that we try to do. And I think that as leaders, you look for ways, how can you clean up the environment? How can you reduce documentation? How can you consolidate technology and that sort of thing? In just picking up what Rhonda was saying too, I think it's also important to make sure that the clinicians are involved in your communication strategy. You need to understand what their problems are, not just think what their problems are. I think a lot of the time IT dominates what is the communication type system. I think we need to really understand that it's a clinical setting and clinicians need to be heard about how they need to communicate and then understand what all their problems are and how we can deliver it. That's good advice. And so I, I noticed as well that, that Vocera has got a report you've released and it suggests communication tools being a part of the required PPE for nurses. So how would right. you go about incorporating that into today's healthcare landscape? That's a really interesting topic because I think that too many times we look at the electronic health record or when a hospital goes digital to say this can carry all of the information that we need it to carry. And in reality, that is documentation and documentation is a different strategy and a different discipline than communication. So the first thing I think that we need to do and the report lays this out that both are incredibly important, but they're not the same thing. And there's no single platform that can do it all. So you have to have a documentation strategy and a communication strategy. And when you do that, communication is the backbone of everything we do. If you want to create order out of chaos, you need communication. If you want to improve your operational efficiencies, it's communication. All of those things. So what we're saying is you be purposeful about creating a communication strategy and then look at where is policy, where is device, and then where is a technology change. And I I always advise people when policy and protocol is not enough to hardwire a behavior, that's when you need to move on and look at software and technology solutions because everybody in the world texts exactly the same way right? We all text exactly the same way. And it's because the technology forces us to do that, correct? That's a discipline we've all learned. And so when I hear hospitals say, well, we can't get the clinicians to do it this way, or we can't get them to do it that way. And, you know, it just stays sort of a mishmash or confusing. And I'm like, well, then you have to be purposeful about it. And you have to have a solution that drives the behavior. And uh, we see that all around us. Those are the things that I would say hospitals need to focus on and get very purposeful about. I don't know. My dad sends me text messages at three in the morning that are just like the number seven <laughs> and that's it. So I don't know. Maybe he's a bad example. For the- <laughs> no, no. I My mother's 83 and I taught her how to use emojis and I rue that day. <laughs> She's she's very, very familiar with her emojis. <laughs> I know someone who taught their mum that LOL meant lots of love and then they, they were using it at really inappropriate times. But let's move on. Uh, the, um, we might round out the conversation then. Just thinking generally, then anyone that's checking out this show in a clinical setting or just working within healthcare, I think the topic around cognitive overload is crucially important. Uh, and there's always things that we can be doing to take away to put in practice to help mitigate some of those kind of situations we talked about before. To either of you, do you have any tips or, or things to be thinking about that we all should be putting in place now and things that we should be doing moving forward into the new year as well to help address these issues around cognitive overload? 
I do. I think the first thing that folks need to do is address the strategic delta between communication and documentation. And as Andy mentioned, we need to give clinicians control over how they communicate. Don't force them to always be on fire and just responding to the situation. Allow them to have some control and some feedback in it. And then create solutions that enhance workflow uh, that don't distract from it. And this is where I would point out that nurses in general, we need both of our hands when we're caring for patients because there's a lot going on at that bedside. And so I think that when you look at communication devices, it can be quite problematic to try to pull a phone out of a pocket, you know, wake the phone up, put in a security code or whatever you have to do and try to use that phone or try to memorize a number or look up a number here or there. And just to be able to have a wearable that goes under PPE that is activated by me just saying, hey, Vocera, call respiratory therapist or call the cardiologist on call. Those are the things when I talk about using software to enhance the workflow, it supports what you need. It doesn't dictate how you work. It just supports how you work and makes it better and more streamlined. And Andy, anything else to finish off? No, I think she's answered it really, well, Rhonda has answered it really well. I think that probably more that people need to realise that communication is important. It is so often an afterthought. When a new building is built, they just put in landlines, they give the clinicians, you know, deck phones. I don't think there has been real thought in how they need to communicate. And it's just so important to realise, as Rhonda has said, communication is the backbone. We do it so often, we don't realise we're doing it. And it becomes so second nature, we don't realise there's other ways that we can do it. So look at the other way of communicating and how it can integrate with all the multiple systems that are running in the hospital, whether or not it's your BMS systems, your monitoring systems, your EMR, whatever it is, see if it integrates and it can all become on one platform to make it easier for the clinicians. No, that's so important about getting those foundations right and the connectivity of everything so that things just work and allow people to get on and provide you know, healthcare services. So look, I really appreciate your time, both of you. There's some super insightful topics that we've covered that I think are helpful to anyone within a healthcare setting in, in any kind of setting, particularly this year amongst COVID. I'm going to put some links to the resources we spoke about in this episode, as well as a few other bits and pieces around those area in the show notes of this episode. So check it out if you're listening. But Rhonda and Andy, thank you so much for your Time. Thank you, Pete. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Make sure you go check out our website for all our resources, including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to Australian healthcare practitioners today. Until next time, I'm out of here.